0: Uh, Today's going to be a good conversation.
1: It is. Well, our listeners uh, should remember that we interview candidates for public office and do that often. And uh, um, we recently interviewed um, Adam Moorfeld, who's running for uh, Lancaster County attorney. And today we have the pleasure of interviewing the current Lancaster County attorney who's running for re-election, Pat Condon. Pat, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you guys taking time to do this. Absolutely. Pat, if you could give our listeners some background, start at the beginning, uh, you know, kind of give us some of your early life history and how you came to be a county attorney for us here in uh, Lancaster County.
2: Sure, absolutely. Um, Well, originally from Northwest Iowa, I was uh, a a farm boy. I have seven siblings. I was the middle one and my dad, had soybean corn soybean farm so that's what that's what we did um, graduated from high school in 81 uh, at that time you know the farm crisis was going on so late 70s early 80s farm crisis was going on and I knew my older brother wanted to go into farming and knew that the uh, farm probably wouldn't support both of us so it, and and still had the family that my dad was uh, three other younger siblings that my dad was was raising at that time, my mom and dad. And um, so went to Creighton University for two years and then try to ease the financial burden on that. I transferred over to uh, back into in-state to the University of Iowa, get the in-state tuition there. And then went back to Creighton for law school, uh, graduated law school in 88. Uh, I worked uh, in the Douglas County attorney's office uh, in law school as a as a clerk. And then in 88, I went out and joined the Hall County attorney's office Uh, going through school, I I knew in law school that I wanted to uh, be in the courtroom and that's what I accomplished. I I started in Hall County in September and by November I was doing my first DUI trial. So I I, I got to do what I wanted to do. Um, And and then in 1990, a position came open here in uh, Lincoln, Lancaster County. So at the time uh, my wife and I had been dating for a while and she was still in Omaha. She worked uh, for Delta Airlines and so she was working for Delta and moved back here to Lincoln. Started working here in 1990. Uh, we married in 1993. Uh, we have two daughters, uh, both uh, live here in Lincoln. My my oldest graduated uh, from Fordham in the Bronx, New York. My youngest uh, just finished uh, one degree here last May and is finishing a second degree this December at the university
1: here. So. How long have you been at the, uh, the county attorney's office here? And then when when did you take over?
2: So I, I came here in 1990. I was actually Mike Hevigan's last attorney hire, uh, or now Chief Justice. And I came here in 1990. Uh, Gary Lacey was running for the office at that time. Um, and I uh, was practicing Gary's office for 20 years. It, Then when he retired, I became Joe Kelly. Joe Kelly ran as the county attorney and was elected. Uh, Joe named me his chief deputy. So I was Joe's chief deputy for seven years. And then when Joe was appointed to the uh, U.S. Attorney's Office in 2017, I took over in 2017 as the acting county attorney and then ran in 2018. So I've been and was elected then. And so I've been in in the county, been the county attorney for five years. I've been in the office for 32.
1: Very good, very good. So, uh, we talked about experience. We talked about, um, um, you know, how important it is to um, to have a background in in uh, in law, of course. And it sounds like, uh, I mean, you've got. you've got on the job experience doing exactly what the job is for 32 years. Uh, So talk about that. Talk about that. And when as voters consider voting you for you, as opposed to your opponent.
2: Yeah. And I think, I think the experience is, is the major thing that that differentiates uh, the two of us. I mean, this is something one, it's a, it's a profession that I I truly do. I love this profession. I, I love what, um, what we do and and the role, you know, to serve the the community and to serve um, to really ensure uh, the safety of the community. Um, I started off as a lot of prosecutors do. Um, you know, I started off. I've done child support. I've done um, traffic. I've done bad checks. I've uh, done the mental health docket. That's that's an interesting that's an interesting docket. Very interesting docket. Did that here in Lancaster County. And then just kind of worked my way up through the office until I uh, was involved with the drug docket, did a lot of things on the drug docket uh, for a number of years, and then moved into the general felony docket. Um, I've handled all kinds of, of felony cases, uh, uh, homicides, rapes, robberies, um, as I said, drug cases, burglary cases, things of that nature. And, and, and I just think that's just so important to have have that experience and to know that uh, in an office like this, I mean, you know, the, the county attorney's office right now with me, there's 40 attorneys in that office. It's a very big office. I think it's the third largest uh, law office in Lincoln, outside the uh, Klein Williams and the attorney general's office. Um, So it's a very large office and, and we do a lot of work there. I mean, we we stay very busy um, trial, criminal trial experience and criminal trial practice is a lot of what we do and to have that uh, that experience where an attorney can come in and say, hey, this came up in a trial today. Have you ever had anything? What do you suggest? And to be able to you know, rely on the past experiences that I've had to, to answer those questions.
0: You know, Pat, you just took away my question from me and that's okay. It's probably because of that experience that you just, you know, just roll right into it. But that question I had briefly, and if you wanna expand on it just a little bit more is, with those experiences and and just as you said when you have you know a number of attorneys beneath you that are just learning their own ropes going through different situations and scenarios there's that experience that helps guide them and helps them better serve the public if you could just look back on your own experience what were some of the kinds of cases that really led you and crafted you and into the county attorney that you are now
2: well, I think, uh, you know, out in Grand Island, I, I was, there was some changes that happened. Some attorneys left the office out there when the, when I was out there. So I kind of moved up a little quicker out there. I was, uh, by the time I left there, I was actually trying felony cases. So, you know, a little under two years outside of uh, graduating from law school, I was trying felony cases, drug cases out in Grand Island. So when I came here uh, to Lincoln, that. Kind of the same thing happened again. There were some attorneys that left, and I was able to get into the drug docket and and really work on that. And that that served me very well. Um, at that time, they were actually got involved in a case that was uh, uh, Title Three, a wiretap case, and so I learned how to do that. Um, and that led to then uh, uh, there was a series of. Robberies going on here in Lincoln, um, where we had a suspect, so we had two suspects, and we went up on a wiretap on their phones, and and um, you know that that's all stuff that's been discussed in court. And those two individuals are Scott Barney and and Roger Borkland, who later uh, we came to charge with the uh, the death of Candace Harms, who disappeared uh, September 22nd of 1992. So um, I, I got involved in that case and that homicide case uh, early on in 92 um, and worked that with uh, Gary Lacey and John Colburn. Um, when they, when we tried uh, Roger Borkland for the murder of Candace Harms. Well, so that was a big, that was a big plus for me. Also, when I got here, I, I, I got involved in the mental health docket. And that's that's a very interesting docket. I think it's a very important docket, the role that, uh, that the county attorney's office uh, Fills uh, in that role as a, as mental health. We we when somebody is deemed to be either a danger to themselves or others, um, we can file what we call a mental health petition to determine whether or not they need to have inpatient treatment, or maybe we can do something on an outpatient basis, and and that really that was a very interesting docket uh, to be involved with. Most part, everybody is doing. You know what they can what's be in the best interest of that that individual you know and that's what's really it's 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 a very good docket to be involved with and, and again it, it it gives you a lot of it introduces you to a lot of things that can come to help you later on um in in other dockets such as you know when you get into the criminal docket a lot of individuals in the mental health docket have um, mental health problems or or controlled substance uh, substance abuse problems and that background in the mental health doc i think really helped me out in that in that area
0: so in the second half of the show which we're about five minutes from i want to talk about goals and management and just you know just more of those direct comparisons between certain things uh, between you and your opponent but if we can learn more about what the office does I know that there's problem solving courts, there's things of that nature. Can you talk to us about your feelings of those kinds of courts and how you either expanded them or changed them or if you have any uh, directed thoughts on on, on topics of that nature?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, one, it is a big office. I mean, besides the criminal office or the criminal division, we also have a civil division that has uh, five attorneys in it, a juvenile division that has seven attorneys in it, child support division that has three attorneys. So, so it's a very diverse office. Um, and then we do have, um, proud to say, we have three problem-solving courts that are, um, that we're very active in. Gary Lacey started our drug court back when he was county attorney. Uh, that drug court this year was nationally recognized as one of the top drug courts in the nation. Um, Joe Kelly started our veterans court back in 2016. Joe and I worked on that. Joe mainly worked on that one and I helped him on that. That court was also uh, recognized as one of the top veterans courts in the nation this year. Um, and then in 2020, um, I started the uh, DUI court. Um, and that court is already to the full capacity in that court. And we're looking at ways to expand that court. Um, I did expand our veterans court um, twice uh, during my uh, tenure as, as county attorney um and so you know we're, we're very involved in those problem solving courts uh and those are courts that you know we, you just can't say i want to start one and you get to start one i mean you have to have permission from the supreme court to start that because you're using uh, judicial resources there um you know you're also using resources from law enforcement from the from probation so there's a lot of things that go into starting these these courts and we've done that um also been involved in in we have a very a robust, uh, diversion program. We have five diversion programs, uh, in Lancaster County. Our general diversion started. I think back in the eighties is when our general diversion started. It's been going pretty much since I've been in the office, I can remember. Um, and then, uh, Joe Kelly did start a veterans, uh, diversion, um, for vets coming back after the Iraqi conflict. And then, um, uh, we started, I started a, what we call our intensive supervised diversion uh, and then when Joe was still in the office and then I also started a a mental health diversion uh, that we have going on in the office and now a treatment diversion that we just started about a little over a year and a
1: half. So just, just to follow up before our break, Pat, when you're talking about these specialized uh, problem solving courts and diversion programs, it sounds like... Uh, uh the taxpayers are are if they're looking for a way to try and not send everybody possible to jail that there's a lot of effort to try and prevent sending everybody and giving lots of opportunities for folks to try and you know change their ways is that a a good a fair assessment of what you're doing yeah that's that's absolutely what we're doing and you know uh
2: the the, in, in particular, the, you know, the treatment courts and the diversion court, or excuse me, mental health diversion, there are two recent ones. You know, the treatment court, That you know, that's really, it gets people there, treatment diversion, excuse me, that gets people in there and they can try to deal with their addiction their that they have and deal with their problems. But then if they don't, they can, then they can, we can move them into the drug court. So there's, a, there's they're just not automatically done. We can move them into the drug court if we need to be, when and, and we can get them into that and you know the, the money that's saved by not putting somebody I mean these these programs they, they do cost money but the cost benefit of not having them in the in the penitentiary where they're not making a living where they're not supporting their family those are things that we can do so
0: I would just have one pile of question before I break Lynn would be on those diversion courts or things of that nature is there a max level of once you get to a certain level of offense are you no longer no longer eligible for those kind of courts, or is it open to anyone and everyone?
2: Well, of course there's going to be, I mean, community safety is always, is always the most important thing in any, in any of the things that we do. So we look at that, but these, you know, problem solving courts are generally are all felony um, but felony uh, level Uh, charges. And our treatment diversions, most of our treatment diversion, mental health diversion, vets diversion, intensive supervised diversion, they can be a combination of misdemeanors and or felony uh,
1: charges that individuals are facing. Welcome back to Our Street. Lynn Fisher and Kurt Elder having a great conversation, very interesting, with the current county attorney, Pat Condon, who's running for re-election. And uh, so I want to start off the second half of the show, uh, Pat, by having you kind of uh, maybe hit on a one of those buzz terminology things that, that that came up in our last interview how do you feel about the concept that people talk about uh, not your department necessarily but in the in, in the nation as a whole we have mass incarceration of minorities can you can you address that as a concept and uh, and then we'll we'll get into some of the weeds Sure, sure. Uh, you know and, and one thing that, that you know we kind of tell people and,
2: and the police are the same way, and that is we don't we don't decide who comes in our doors. I mean, as a prosecutor, um, we don't investigate crimes. Uh, law enforcement brings us the individuals that they have arrested over the, over the evening or over the days, and then we review those uh, cases to determine whether or not we believe we can uh, prosecute those cases. We can prove them beyond a reasonable doubt is what ethically we're required to do. Um, So we look at that evidence and we make that determination. So those individuals are the the individuals that are basically being brought into the office through law enforcement. Um, I I think one thing, um, you know, people uh, tend to do is they look at maybe a different uh, population base than we should, we've heard a lot about how, um, you know, minorities are overrepresented in the jails. But I think if you look at the, population of individuals uh, charged at any one time and then look at that population and the breakup of that. Uh, and then look at the people in jail and really it's, it's, it, it runs pretty close. I've done that. It runs pretty close to what we have. Um, the other thing is if you look at the number of crimes occurring at any one given day. So if you take today and say, how many crimes are there and there's X amount of crime and you look at how many people are in jail, when we looked at that, it, it came out that about 5% were in jail on bond, waiting those charges. So, you know, 95% of them are, are released. And so I think the, the, the 5% that are in jail are, are, this, are the ones that have serious uh, charges facing them and, and, uh, you know, their safety concerns to the community and, and that's why they, they are in custody, um, you know, waiting, uh, their trial,
0: if I could just pick up from there, there has, I believe, your opponent has, uh, you know, you know, made a position of that persons who, who have had a minor marijuana charge are being charged with felonies, and they're clogging up our prison system. There's a certain percentage of them that just don't belong there. But yet in the first half of our show, you had said that you know there are drug courts, and it's for those misdemeanors and felonies and there's, and there's pathways and solutions to help avoid jail time. Can you help us reconcile how one statement might be made like that versus what you had shared with us earlier? What's, what's up?
2: Well, I would say that's a good question. Um, uh, In Nebraska, you know, for marijuana charges, you, you cannot even be charged with a felony unless you're possessing more than a pound. So that's that's unless you're delivering, unless you're unless you're selling it, then then you can be charged. But then, I think if you're selling it, it's more than just being in possession of it. And and you know, my opponent likes to say simple possession, and and there is no such law as simple possession. There is a possession law, um, and and you know, in in Nebraska, if you possess more than a pound of marijuana, you can be charged with a class four felony, which is zero to two years. If you're possessing less than that, the only way you can get charged with a felony is if you're delivering marijuana, um, or you're possessing it with the intent to deliver. So th- th- that's something that, yeah, that's that's there.
0: So if I could go down this road just a little bit more, let's say that someone has, you know, let's say they uh, they have half a pound, and they are delivering, would they be eligible for drug court just to get on the mend and correct their life?
2: Yeah, you know, um, and that's a great question. One of of the things, um, our intensive supervised diversion, one of the reasons we came up with that is because that's exactly what we were seeing. We were seeing, um, you know, shortly after Colorado or around the time Colorado had legalized marijuana and we'd see college kids go out to Colorado, pick up some marijuana, bring it back and, and sell it to their friends on the university. And, you know, to that's a, that's a class two felony. I mean, that's a class two felony. And we were and some, some individuals were getting arrested and getting charged and they had no other history. So we let them do, um, we said, you know, you get in to this program, you get some, if you need treatment, you get treatment and you complete your college and, you know, we'll, um, you know, or you stay out of trouble. That's the other thing they can stay out of trouble. And, you know, we would dismiss the charges. So that's what we did um you know so we are not just uh you know filling up the prisons as i think i've heard say with low-level uh offenders um we are working ways to to get individuals into programs um and really you have to on simple possession charges what i've been with what, what the term simple possession charges of of you know cocaine methamphetamine um, the prison actually did a study, and, and it was about uh, I think a little over 14 times that somebody had to be charged with a possession charge um, before they ended up in the penitentiary. So, um, you know, it, it there's a lot of other things that we try. We do try to you know through our drug court, through our diversion programs, and things like that to steer people away from that, uh, you know, from that from that uh, problem that they found themselves in. Sure. So.
1: Kurt, I was just going to kind of add on top of that, the concept of discretion, uh, you know, when you're in a position as you are and you have the authority to use discretion to determine when to apply the law or to apply the the, the remedy for breaking a law. Um, you have discretion, which everybody, right, police officers have discretion. You have discretion. Judges have discretion. So, how do you how do you uh, use your discretion, and in, in, in what ways? Or what what's the overriding philosophy philosophy that you're using? You already talked about the diversions. You have talked about the different types of courts. You're trying to use your 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 position to help people not to go to jail. I understand that, but when somebody uh, really needs to go to jail, how do you determine who who really should be prosecuted to the full extent of the law and who who should be diverted through those programs i mean that's the that's the key to your job can you kind of talk about that what your overall philosophy is
2: yeah i I think the overall philosophy uh, for me anyway going forward is you know are these individuals that are mainly hurting themselves or are they hurting other members in our community um and you know that's why you know, with drug court, if you're delivering basically for your job, I mean, that's how you're, that's how you're making a living. Generally, you're not eligible for drug court for, for individuals that are delivering uh, for, for profit, Um, delivering, if you're delivering uh, a little bit of marijuana or a little bit of methamphetamines to, to get a, you know, to get enough for yourself, then, that's that's something that we look at to determine whether or not you're going to be eligible for that program, and that and that's kind of what we look at. Um, you know, who is who is being who is being uh, hurt here um, to get into these programs, and then you also look at uh, you know what are what is being done. I mean, is this somebody that is using a weapon or has a weapon? Once once they put a weapon into it, it kind of adds a whole different wrinkle to things and things that we need to take you know quite a bit more seriously. Then, then if they just you know are doing this and and the harm is to themselves as opposed to you know the harm of of you know with a weapon and, and bringing that involved. So that's that's a key thing that we look at um, in all these programs, um, you know, from our diversion programs up to our problem-solving course.
0: I would think that that I'm this also sounds better. <laughs> the benefit of me being in charge of this. Uh, I would think that we could spend you know, quite a bit of time just learning more about this. And just as an example, if someone has a weapon, are, are they using it for their own safety? But that may not factor into your decision process because it's still bringing a weapon into a situation that, that is already perhaps volatile. But what I think would be more useful over time is just learning more about the office and learning you know, what are some of those goals, what are some of the things that you want to do in the future? Because that's really important when we want to elect our officials as well. When we have interviewed public uh, defenders, um, the other side of the uh, bench, uh, they would talk about how they need more attorneys and they have metrics for measuring their workload, things of that nature. When you look at your office, are one, do you have enough attorneys? And if you don't, um, is there a plan to uh, bring more on? And two, what are some of the goals that you would like to achieve in the next term if you are reelected?
2: That's a, that's a great question. I mean. Um and our public defender it, you know and I, I I know you're aware of this and, and that is they have caseload standards that they have so they will conflict out of cases at some point in time when they get to a certain level or if they have a conflict with an individual that maybe they represent and that's a and another individual that comes in that's a witness in that case they can't they have to conflict out of those cases um, our office doesn't have that luxury that's i, I mean I have um, th- there's myself and 39 other attorneys in my office. So like I said, it's a very large office. Um, and we don't have, uh, we, we don't conflict out of cases. We take basically all cases that come in the door and you know, that's, that's important. Um, it is important to see, you know, we're, we're looking at our, you know, the, the drug court, you know, that's, that's been going along very well for, for a number of years and trying to divert people from the penitentiary system, um, through our drug courts, doing the same with our, our vets court, you know, our veterans that have come back and have had problems, um, you know, we're getting them into our veterans programs and and getting them and diverting them. Uh, the same now with our DUI, that's, that's felony DUI cases, where we're, you know, we're getting people and and hopefully addressing the problem, uh, you know, through the court system. Um, and we're, and we're working on that, but then we're also, um, you know, unfortunately there are individuals um, that have been arrested and that, uh, know they the the prosecution needs to move forward with with that and and that takes a lot of time I mean we have um, if you're you're not familiar with our district court we have eight district court judges and four of them have a jury term every two the first two weeks of every month so the first two weeks of every month we're very busy with cases I think um, in July we were trying to get do a little catch up from COVID we went for four weeks we had about 20 cases that we were trying in July um, during that period of time, so um, that that can be uh, that can put a lot of strain on the office. But uh, you know, we have a lot of good people that work in that office. I have a lot of good attorneys, and you know, we just seem to get the work done. Um, we we understand the nature of this. You know, the the, the problem-solving courts, the diversion programs, kind of alleviate some of the pressure on the courts because we can. We can, uh, you know, have them have individuals in that program, and and hopefully better the community. I think I think they they all better the community with those programs that we have available to to individuals sure. that whatever
0: else be the system. And then we take on to the goals going on into the future. Is there anything that, if you had the money, the time, the budget, you know, there was one aspirational goals, then there's you know, realistic goals. So. How about we start with realistic goals that are going to happen? But if you had the capacity to do something cool and great, what would that be? Let's start with the first one.
2: Well, I think realistic goals, I mean, and um, in, in we, we may need to look at doing some uh, changes in statute. Uh, um, you, you know, the, the DUI, um, Lancaster County has always been very strict on DUIs. Um, Sarpy County has a diversion program for first non-ag uh, DUI individuals. So, individuals who get picked up with a DUI under uh, a .15 would have the ability to go into this diversion program, um, and if they successfully complete it, that would be uh, that that charge, that DUI charge, would be dismissed. That that's something that you know we've we've looked at over the years. Um, you know, maybe a little more palatable now, just because, you know, what we're seeing is our, our DUI numbers are going down. And I think that's just because of the use of, you know, uh, the younger people these days are more used to the Ubers and the lifts and things of that nature. So our numbers have gone down in that regard, as far as uh, first offense. So that may be something that, you know, we look at at some point in time Um, we did do it. Our, we have a 24 seven program um, you know where um, we are putting people you know they're getting tested twice a day um, and and if they if they test positive for for alcohol they go into custody um, so you know that's a, that's a program that we kind of copied from uh, south Dakota i think it's a very uh, very good program um, uh, you know and I think that's just you know that's that's one of the programs that we have
1: well, Pat Condon, thank you very much for coming on the show. Good luck to you and your, your campaign. And uh, I just want to tell our listeners again, thanks for spending 30 minutes with us here. And okay. for Kurt Elder Lynn Fisher saying, we'll see you next week.